Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Hey everyone, I'm here with uh, Alec Agarwal with uh, Microsoft Research, and we're here at day two of the O'Reilly AI Conference. Uh, Alec just did a great presentation on interactive learning systems, and he was kind enough to join us to uh, talk a little bit about that presentation. Uh, Alec, why don't you start off by introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Alec Agarwal. I'm a researcher at Microsoft Research, actually here in New York City. Um, I've been here for uh, four years. Prior to that, I was doing my PhD at UC Berkeley. And my work really touches upon a lot of themes in AI, but one that is particularly, uh, in machine learning, but one that has particularly uh, been of interest lately is um, what I call interactive machine learning. So um, think that think about problems where um, the machine learning algorithm is not just uh, learning from a static pool of data that was um, hand annotated and collected by somebody else, but think about really uh, how the algorithm has to interact within a larger system, within a larger environment to um, collect that data, to gather learning cues, and then incorporate learning cues into the model uh, in order to improve over time. Um, And this leads to uh, several kind of um, paradigms in machine learning, things like active learning, uh, reinforcement learning, or, um, you know, subsets of reinforcement learning, like contextual bandits and so on, all of which uh, I worked on and were uh, touched upon in the talk today. Great, great. So you mentioned uh, the machine learning, uh, learning from the environment, and one of the ways you illustrate, illustrated that in your talk was you showed a demonstration of a Super Mario Brothers game. Can you talk about uh, what you were intending to show with that demo? And uh, Yeah, um, so, so in, in some sense, uh, whenever we are thinking about interactive learning systems, right, so one of the questions is, um, what are environments in which we can safely run these experiments, in which we can have this, uh, our basically algorithmic agents interact with their environment or manipulate the environment in a safe manner? Of course, uh, you know, the natural or maybe canonical embodiment even in everybody's thinking of uh, such agents are robots, right? Uh, uh-huh. uh, but uh, robots are hard to program. It's hard to, in fact, like, control all of their sensors and actuators, and it takes time, it takes uh, resources even to get one. Um, And so a lot of people have uh, found um, designing agents for various sort of games, either computer games or even traditional board games, right, like backgammon, chess, uh, Go now, and other such games as kind of more uh, controlled environments in which we can still uh, have this interaction either with another player or with its uh, with, with the environment of the game. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we can run these experiments um, kind of over and over again with uh, actually remarkably high throughput. You know, we can overclock these games, so it allows for very fast experimentation. Right. Um, and so uh, that that's kind of uh, the... The, the, the reason why uh, people have really gravitated towards using um, uh, games in particular now, there is, you know, this uh, Atari learning environment, which is basically using Atari games, uh, again, as a platform uh, to, to test interactive learning situations. And uh, what I was trying to show in the particular Super Mario demo, actually, uh, so I should give uh, credit to Stefan Ross, whose work that video comes out of. So, you know, what they were, they were trying to demonstrate was um, 
supervised learning is not adequate or uh, a static pool of data is not adequate to do well in interactive learning problems because when you manipulate your environment, then if you act a certain way, you see situations that may or may not be present in your training data. So, you know, if I know how to drive well, then I might not get into a car accident uh, or at least not an obvious one, or I might not get stuck behind a, a slow driving car very often. And now, of course, you, you don't, uh, if you don't see any data for how to recover from those errors, then, you know, your driving agent is uh, in trouble. So, so that, that's the part I was trying to emphasize that uh, when we try to do uh, supervised learning in these interactive scenarios, then often our algorithms tend to make mistakes that we don't have in the training data, and then they don't know how to recover from those. Mm -hmm. And so they get, you know, stuck in corners, and uh, they, 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 they just uh, fall maybe in pits and do all sorts of silly things that we just don't do. Right. So walk us through how uh, the approaches to interactive learning that you talked about address that problem. Yeah, so in some sense, uh, um, here's an alternative uh, we could think about, right? So, um, so let's say I was um, thinking about a conversational agent, like a chatbot. So I have two options. I could uh, look through many, many transcripts of, you know, how people have talked to each other, maybe in a, con a controlled domain, even like a you know, call center or something. And I can try to train an agent from this data. Again, this might have issues that maybe I said something that doesn't make sense to the user, maybe they respond in a way that a call center uh, human uh, agent would never encounter and I don't know how to respond now. Now, imagine in this situation, instead of just being stuck and floundering, I could actually uh, sort of fall back to a human agent and say, hey, I'm kind of uncertain about what to do right now. Can you bail me out, please? Right now, I have um, learned... Um, how to recover from this mistake. So in future, even if I'm about to make this mistake, I, I'll be able to recover from it, right? And so there is, there, there is this um, concept of learning in situations that I encounter that interactive learning algorithms usually embody, right? And another, another kind of thing that uh, often comes up is um, just even you know, these, these are like very ambitious tasks, of course, right? So let's think about something even which seems much more mundane to us. Uh, like, uh, you know, uh, ranking search results or uh, recommending news articles, personalizing news articles. Um, so maybe I have data of what users have been clicking on and I learn from this data and I think I have found um, something better to, to choose, right? How do I evaluate it? Well, if this other, these other set of choices are never displayed to the users by my previous system, I have no data that can actually back that these choices are good. Right. Right. And so... Um, we only know the performance of the thing that the user actually clicked on. We don't exactly. have any information about how the other things would have performed. Exactly. And so we run into this problem that we don't even know how to evaluate a system that does something different from what we have in the data and basically interactive learning exactly tries to bridge this gap. It tries to come up with techniques for um, essentially how to, you have to kind of learn on the job. You have to learn on the fly in order to address these uh, situations. Now, it seems like you've talked about two different things. Um, one is, you know, you've got your machine prediction. How do we kind of pop out of that loop and get input from the human? And the mm -hmm. other 
makes me think more of like multivariate testing, A/B testing, mm-hmm. that kind of explore exploit yep. kind of scenarios. How are those related? Or- yeah. So, um, so, 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 in some sense, um, explore exploit is kind of one step further from this, uh, you know, like evaluation problem that I'm mentioning. So, um, so if you think about exploration, why do you explore? Right? You explore because um, okay, sometimes you'll um, you'll try one thing, sometimes you'll try another thing. So let's kind of, uh, in a statistical sense, if we zoom out and think about what's happening in expectation, roughly, you're trying everything. And in expectation, at least sort of as a population level, you're getting feedback about everything, right? And what, as a result, that enables you to do is it enables you to evaluate every choice that you could have made. Right, so uh, implicit in explore exploit is this ability to evaluate in interactive settings. And so what I try to do is I, I mean, explore exploit kind of in my mind consists of two parts. There is this ability to evaluate, which I think is very crucial in its own because people currently do often evaluation by doing like you're saying, A-B testing or multivariate testing, which is a horribly inefficient way of going about the task. Um, and explore exploit basically gives you a much more data efficient way of doing the same thing. And then it lets you, in fact, do something much more. It, it lets you actually refine your models in real time and update them and, you know, do this sort of really online learning, which is, which is great. But even if you don't want to do that, just this evaluation is something you can already get a lot of value out of. So that's why I kind of try to present both the pieces in their own right. Uh, but, but in some sense, yes, explore exploit is the, is, is the general sort of overarching, um, solution that um, that addresses uh, basically both of the issues. And why is it? Why does it end up being so much more data efficient than the traditional approaches? Right. So, so there are two two um, important uh, hallmarks. So, so let's let's first start from a non-contextual setting, right? So, let's just say you're trying to basically find the most popular news story that works for everyone. Mm-hmm. Then. Um, the A-B testing way, so to say, of going about it would be, uh, let's say you have 10, you give one-tenth of traffic to each one of them. Right. week later, you see which one did the best. Okay. Right. The explore-exploit way of doing is you say, okay, well, initially, yeah, I'll, I'll start giving uh, 10% traffic to each one. The moment something starts to look better than the others, I can uh, dynamically adjust my traffic, right? So everything is, is getting only enough traffic that I need to rule it out for, as being inferior, right? And so that's already data efficient. However, now let's think about personalization, about contextualization, right? So, um, so um, you said you're from St. Louis. You're, you're hopefully not the only user from St. Louis who visits uh, MSN. So, um, so you visit. I, I maybe give you a randomized choice of news story, and maybe another user who has more or less the same features as you visits, right? I maybe try a different news story for them. Now, what I've done is, um, let's back up. So, so, so usually for personalization, um, uh, let's again contrast with an, with an A-B test. So an A-B test would say, okay, so, you know, I'll, 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 I'll run this experiment to, on, on some percent of data to evaluate B, on some percent of data to evaluate uh, A. Right. Right, so each data point is either going to A or to B, right? right. There is no sort of data sharing happening. Mm-hmm. However, uh, when you have a large uh, class of uh, available options, uh, available models that you might want to pick out of, right. then Meaning on if any... if you've got tons of news articles that you could display right? so to the user. So imagine like one set of parameters 
for neural network defining one model. So you really yeah. have an infinite number of them, but let's just pretend for now they're a billion. Okay. Mm -hmm. So of course, for a given user, many of these models would make the same choice. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you randomize the new story that you present to the user, then, and you look the, look at the outcome, then suddenly you have information about all the different models that made the, the, the story you displayed. That, that made the same recommendation to this user, right? And you can use, share this user's information across all of them. Hmm. So you're, you're so, so effectively training a billion models in parallel. You're, you're effectively evaluating a billion models evaluating. in parallel. Right. And then because you're evaluating them in parallel, you can just choose the best one at the end. And right, right, right. Voila, you have optimization, right? So, so, so it's this data sharing that's uh, crucial. And there is a certain sense, there is a precise mathematical sense in which you can prove that this is, as a result, if you think about doing the same evaluation of a billion things through A-B testing versus uh, what we call multi-world testing, yep. then you require exponentially fewer um, samples in our approach. And there is kind of a precise uh, uh, theory in papers backing up that claim. Uh, it, it's, uh, so so th that's kind of the crux. Okay, okay. Uh, so we've, we've touched on this throughout the discussion, but one of the big areas that you apply this on is um, in personalization. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about the use case and some of the background there? Yeah, so, so you know, I think really, um, I mean, you know, it's uh, 2016. I think it's, uh, it's great that some of the things we use actually do adapt to our tastes over time, but it's a pity that more of them don't, right? And I feel like everything I do... Uh, should learn about me, especially because they are collecting a ton of data about me. So you might as well put it to some good. Um, and 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 basically, I, I think this is uh, personalization is the one that's most interesting to me. Also, is because like I was describing, uh, when once you start thinking, if you're just trying to evaluate ten things, fine, there is some difference between A/B testing and uh, multi-world testing. But it's really when you start thinking about creating personalized uh, and if you're, if you're only doing 10 things, then in some sense, a very smart person might just look at them and by their gut feeling, pick out the best one, right? But once you start thinking about personalized uh, models, then first of all, it doesn't scale for humans to do it. It doesn't scale for A-B testing to do it. You really need a different technology to do it. And that's where that, that's why I think it's a very well-suited scenario to something like multi-world testing and contextual bandits. And so that, that's where we've found the most um, also excitement from, you know, we've, we've, we've talked to a broad range of uh, uh, product managers and that's the, the, the aspect that usually receives the most uh, appeal uh, to them. And what kind of results are you seeing with that? So with, uh, with, I mean, I have most substantive results with MSN. We have a lot of other kind of experiments going on, but... Um, but but I, but I think MSN ones are the one I can speak of most authoritatively, and basically they've uh, reliably. So you know they have they have like this uh, web page with with many different uh, a, which they kind of logically partition into many different areas. So they've kind of applied our system to many different areas now, and reliably in all of those they found kind of with minimal to no tuning, they found always that um, they were getting actually. Uh, improvement in most kind of user engagement metrics that, okay. that they track. 
Uh, what was even more interesting, uh, and this this kind of really reflects the personalization aspect, right? So they had been running this uh, ex- these experiments in the U.S. market, and then the Olympics came around, and somebody had an idea: Hey, let's try this in Brazil, right? So this is Portuguese. Yeah, we we've we've not changed anything in the system right. except they, you know, like the user browsing history. They 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 had it for those users on the Portuguese articles, of course, and they did like a Portuguese topic model for so just the feature extraction part was a little language specific nothing about the machine learning changed and we got you know double to triple digit improvements over the existing system just deploying this out of the box and they they started running it on 100 percent traffic so this um it really does work is that level of improvement on par with what you saw in english or greater or slightly Um, less you know that's kind of uh Difficult to uh, judge very well because also they have different amounts of uh, data and different level of right. performance of the baseline system in different markets. Yeah. So it's okay. um, yeah, it, it's a bit hard to uh, compare that. Mm-hmm. But but I think the the important thing for them was that um, it was really with very little customization. Things were robustly able to transfer from one market to another. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so the. This approach, um, you've talked a little bit about it being more data efficient, but how does that translate to the actual implementation and computational efficiency? Yeah, so... I Is mean, that the, an issue for these kinds of problems at that scale? or I mean, there, yes, you have to be mindful about computation. We are mind, mindful about computation. We've tried to make these things as efficient as possible, so... Um, with MSN, for instance, we were running in you know the front end of their servers, and we had like five percent or so performance overhead on their system, which was deemed fine for the value. So there, there is obviously some performance uh, that is a loss that is incurred. But uh, I mean, we we we've we've implemented these algorithms very carefully, and um, a lot of the costs can be amortized essentially. So. Now, the 5% running on the front end, that's for model evaluation. Is there yeah. a training step? Yeah, so, but, but the nice thing is the training step is running asynchronously in the cloud. Yep. And that, I mean, that's entirely, again, I mean, currently, even at MSK, first of all, one thing that's nice about doing things online is, right, you're um, not really thinking about having to deal with a billion or a trillion records all at once. You're just streaming over them. So uh, scales become nicer, but but uh, so with MSN we were still able to do all the training on one machine. In fact, in the background, but even if that's not the case, it's pretty easy to parallelize the training algorithms, and uh, we support that. So okay. yeah, I mean you can, and and we've uh, the the only thing you have to be careful about is so we've we've made sure that. Uh, we, we try to keep the system very reproducible because one of the frustrating things we've encountered over and over again is when something goes wrong in these complex systems, it's really hard to trace down what went uh-huh. wrong. Right. With parallelization, sometimes it can be a little bit more tricky because like all of the order of events and so on. Yeah. So, so we recommend as far as possible to avoid it, but it's definitely po- possible to do it. Hey, if you can do it for MSN on one machine, then a lot of people will be able to get pretty far on a single machine. Um, and you've published papers about this. Like, what, if someone wanted to, to to try out this approach, like, what's the best way to for them to learn? Yeah, about so it? there is a short URL, aka.ms/mwt. Um, that website has a ton of resources on it, and it has um, both, you know, more. Uh, uh, 
like do-it-yourself type guide type things. If you directly want to get your hands dirty, if you want to learn more about the science, it provides extensive. Uh, there is a there is a very extensive white paper that provides links to even more extensive research papers and so on. So really, depending on how much detail you want, all of the resources are available on that website. Awesome, awesome. And, uh, and the project itself is on GitHub, so you know all of the code is uh, open source. Um, you can play with the machine learning algorithms. The machine learning algorithms actually have been open source for several years now, so they've been you know tried out not just by us, but by others across the research community as well. And what are the... What are the algorithms based on? Like, what what general classes of algorithms do these look like? So, I mean, so 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 the way we do things is we so we take these interactive or you know contextual bandit learning problems and we we basically sort of uh, what the learning algorithms look like. They massage and massage and massage the data till you can essentially think of it as some sort of a multi-class classification problem. Okay, and so. Now go to party with your favorite multi-class classification algorithm. I mean, we we implement our own uh, for for the complete pipeline, but uh, and we support a lot of different types of models, like you know linear models, shallow feed-forward nets. Um, we have um, you know matrix factorization type models. We have a, a whole variety of uh, sort of uh, very very quick feature manipulations that are ingrained into the models that you can just do so so it's so so all of this is happening in a software called Vopal Wobbit the all of the machine learning part which has been around for several years and is uh, one of the f- uh, more performant software tools for machine learning out there so it's uh, it, it provides a, a lot of uh, functionality and if you want something that's not in it then um, you know there are ways to plug into other machine learning libraries as well. And the, your use case there was on personalization. Uh, are there other use cases that you've seen this apply to? Um, so, I mean, it depends on how far you ex- want to extend personalization, uh, the definition, right? So one of the things we are currently uh, trying to work on is, so, uh, so we have uh, users of uh, Microsoft Bank, and, um, you know, a lot of people in this country suffer from uh, sleep disorders or just, this you know. This band is the health band? Yes. Be- because of, uh, like, stress or other reasons, they're just not sleeping well. And so the band was, uh, for a while, trying to give sleep insights, uh, basically some some recommendation to change your lifestyle in some uh, small way that might help you sleep better. And... Um, so, for instance, we are trying to now uh, do an experiment where we would choose which recommendations to show based on how the user sleep then responded to the recommendations to do this. So, I mean, I think of this as within the realm of personalization, but, you know, uh, uh, and, I mean, again, uh, we, uh, we haven't had conversations on a more medical domain so far but we are really hoping that we can get there um, in in future so so that's definitely uh, one one realm other definitely uh, definitely a good chunk of the conversations we've had other than that are i would say around personalization of various sorts um, but 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 even uh, like one of the interesting use cases some of our actually so some of some of the people in our research team are um, so because it's a system, we also have some systems researchers on the team. And, you know, system itself um, does a number of uh, resource allocation choices and, you know, uh, 
um, server is kind of distributing, doing load balancing and a um, lot of other resource allocation problems, right? So, so what they've been curious is if they can allow, uh, apply even some of these techniques to core systems problems. Um, we have some preliminary experiments with that. Nothing I would call convincing yet, but it's, it's actually pretty broadly applicable. Um, and by core systems problems, are you thinking things like, um, you know, allocation of resources within a data center? And Yeah, you can, you can apply it at several different scales. So you can think about uh, applying it um, at the level of a router, at the level of a NIC, at the level of an OS, level of data center or scheduler in a data center. There, there are many different places you can think of it. And um, in, in some sense, the I mean, a lot of these are basically currently working on top of uh, hand-designed rules that some very smart people thought about the problem very carefully right. and designed it, right? But there's no reason why we can't make them more adaptive and more intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, I think there is uh, definitely a lot of potential there in, like, machine learning for systems type of area for uh, these interactive learning situations. And so how would you, kind of taking a, a step back to summarize, how would you characterize at the highest level, you know, if you've got a problem that looks like X, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you know, oh, a solution wonderful you Wonderful question. Look at. I actually do, when, when I start to talk to people about, uh, who are interested, I usually ask, give them a template and ask them if their problem okay. fits into that template, right? So, so at the high level, there is this loop of uh, you observe the world, you take an action, and you, uh, res- you observe a reward, right? So it's important that you face this loop over and over again. One of the things you have to be careful about, for instance, is often uh, when we start this conversation, people don't necessarily have a well-defined notion of a reward they can point to. And that's very important. If we don't define it well, the system will just learn some garbage. Right. Right. The other thing that's kind of important to think about is, uh, like I said, contextual bandit problem, uh, like I was saying in the talk, makes this assumption that when I take an action it does not have influence on the next context I see, right? So something like a conversation just does not fit this. You know, what you say is not independent of uh, what I said before. Uh, But something like um, recommendation systems is largely true. Um, so, 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 So that's something you have to keep in mind when you're thinking about how good a fit this might be to your problem. Now, that said, we are, of course, uh, I mean, we have, we have a lot of research expertise and research uh, uh, advances in also working out the situations where your actions modify the state. Um, it's just that there the software, not quite there yet. Uh, I mean, we, we have some software, but it's not really a full-fledged system yet. Okay. Great. Great. Any other uh, considerations or things that, um, that folks should know when they're thinking about this space? Um, no, I would say again, think, uh, if you're, if you're thinking about these problems, think, think really hard about the reward. That's, that's the one that usually goes wrong. And the other thing is, uh, I think, uh, we've, we've tried very carefully in the various materials we've prepared to outline all the usual things that go wrong because, um, one of the things we find is even after we talk to people, they often fall back into those traps. So it's very important to think through those carefully and make sure you don't fall into them. And uh, what are some of those traps? So a lot of those traps are, well, essentially even, I mean, it's really tempting to say, right, that I have some observational data uh, collected from my system. Let's just do some machine learning with it. Right. And this almost uh, never works in a reliable manner. 
And there are various levels at which this manifests. So, you know, one thing you might want to do is, oh, I ran this experiment and actually things are working quite well now. Why don't I turn off the experimentation? I turn off the randomization. No, I mean, you know, preferences change. Um, or um, just various, um, uh, various subtle bugs arise just, uh, due to the way people are recording things. So, of course, if you do everything with our system, then, you know, we, we've designed things in a way that they shouldn't arise. But um, often people want to use their own custom components for, for, for parts of things. So, if, you, if, you, if you're thinking about doing that, it's really important that you look into the, the, the failure modes that we emphasize and make sure you don't fall into those. Um, and, and the other thing is, yeah, it just like even on top of our system, when, when you're building something, it's important to think about the reproducibility of everything because that's the one thing we found really was key when we, when like even with MSN, right, it wasn't all um, sort of a bed of roses. Initially, there, there were a, quite a few hiccups and because we kept everything reproducible, we could quickly figure out where the problem was. Right, right. Awesome, awesome. Well, why don't you repeat that URL once more time? Uh, uh, one yeah, more time, it so. is aka.ms slash MWT. Okay, and can folks, uh, if they've got questions, can they contact you through that URL? Yes, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks so much, Alec. Great to meet you and uh, appreciate the talk. Yeah, fun talking to you. Thanks. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. Once again, thanks so much for listening and for your continued support. Don't forget to share your favorite quotes for a Twimmel sticker. These stickers are great. You're going to love them. You can share your favorite quote via the show notes page, via Twitter, via our Facebook page, or via a comment on YouTube or SoundCloud. And don't forget to hit that iTunes link and leave us a review. The notes for this show will be up on twimmelaicom slash talk slash 17, where you'll find links to Alec and the various resources mentioned in the show. Catch you next time.